So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no... Um, oh, sorry, where am I? <laughs> Depth, of soil. Depth of soil. Yeah, sorry, the words are like so tiny in this Bible. Um, uh, la, la, la. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones among the, or along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of God. So as Trev comes up, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you uh, for today. We thank you that you have gathered us together once again, um, and we thank you for your word and how it teaches us. I ask that you would speak through Trev this morning as we listen. Help us to have ears that, that hear what your spirit has to say to us um, as we hear the message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Trev, and uh, it's a great pleasure, it really is, to be able to preach God's Word to you this morning. Um, it seems like every once in a while I feel like 
I have to re-say, this is, this is a, an amazing opportunity to do this week in and week out. I uh, regularly can't imagine why people would come back again and again, and so I feel it's a great privilege uh, to be able to preach God's Word to you this morning. A really cool text, uh, and one of the more unique texts, I think, in, in particularly the, the stories of Jesus, that's what our Son of God series is about, uh, in that the whole passage is an illustration, and so as a good preacher, you're supposed to illustrate your sermon, but I don't really have to because the illustration is the sermon. Um, so it's a, it's a great uh, it's a great word for us, <clears throat> and I want to begin by a- simply asking this question. Have you ever um, been to a concert? Have you ever watched a TV show? Have you ever talked about a movie or listened to a song, and you're like, this is so amazing, and y- y- someone's, y- you tell the next person, you've got to listen to this. I- at Christmas time, it's very common in our family when we go back home to Saskatchewan to watch YouTube videos. And sometimes I'm like, you got to see this YouTube video. And then everyone else looks at it and they're just like, I, that's not funny. That's not even interesting. Why? I don't understand. Like, I wouldn't even wait for that if it was buffering. Like, I don't understand this. It gets frustrating that the same kind of video that seems so funny or interesting or awesome to you just has almost no effect on someone else. And you're like, you're watching the same movie, right? You're watching the same clip, right? You're, this is the same joke. This is the same song, right? My kids play Animal Jam. They love this Animal Jam. And I, they love it. They love it. They treasure it in their hearts. They do. And I go and I watch what's going on. And like, I am disinterested in about 10 seconds. I'm, I'm like, I don't, what are these? Why are you dancing? Why are you twirling? Why don't you use that? Per- I doesn't make, they love it. They think this is the greatest news. And they'll come and they'll tell me, hey, I've got this little trunk full of these little things. And this is amazing. I'll say, it doesn't have any effect on me at all. Doesn't mean a thing to me. Now I'm interested because they're my kids, but I'm not interested because I like animal jam. But it's interesting as we think about this concept of of information or news or something that goes on in life and one person can totally respond and think this is awesome and amazing and hilarious and someone else can totally disregard it and it has no effect. I think about this a lot because the gospel message is difficult to understand and it's amazing to me watching it take root in someone's life and it becomes an amazing good news sort of thing. Some, you talk about the gospel, you talk about Jesus dying on on the cross and rising from the dead, and they're just, they're into it. And there's some who are just completely indifferent. It's an amazing thing. We live in a neighborhood where when you talk about the fact that I'm a pastor, if I introduce myself as a pastor, they they get this eyes glaze over look like, I I don't know what I'm supposed, I don't even know what that is. No interest in pursuing an understanding of what I do, what I'm about, what I believe. My eyes glaze over. That's what happens to them. Jesus tells us a story that says this is exactly what will happen when we proclaim the gospel. When we speak it over and over again, there's different responses that people will have. And it's very easy for us to identify as we read through this story sometimes and, and we have this impression like, oh yeah, I know people like that. I don't know if you, you thought that as you were reading through it. You're like, oh yeah, like my 
brothers like this or my best friends like this. Here's what Jesus didn't want us to do. He didn't want us to understand this story as a grid to judge other people. I think I viewed that, that story this way for so long that he was giving us tools whereby we could pick people off much like just going out, people watching and saying, oh, that's rocky ground over there. That's thorny soil over there. That's, those, those are hard hearts over there. That's pretty good soil over here. That's not what Jesus told us this story about. What he was trying to explain because he was preaching, he was a Jew preaching to Jews. He was saying, this is for your heart. This is a grid for you to examine your own heart. So we will already have the wrong response if we take and hear this as a grid for looking at other people. This is for us. And he tells us this story because he says, I want, I want to ask you what kind of soil, how do you receive the good news of Jesus Christ? Does it even sound good to you? And so Matt, Matt read it out and, and I will say like, you know, as you speak the gospel out, sometimes it sounds almost strange because it sounds so unique. But I don't want to assume that everyone knows what the gospel is. What we understand the gospel to be is the good news about Jesus Christ. Jesus was God become man. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. And then instead of judging other people, he took on the judgment of other people on himself. He paid for that on a cross. He did the old switcheroo. He did the great exchange where he took the judgment that should have come on us for not living up to God's standard. He paid it and then gave what he had earned to us if we would just believe in his name and believe that he is the sacrifice for our sins. That is the shortest version of the gospel I can possibly say. Yeah, thank you. But there were varied responses to this. Some hear that and say, good word. Some hear that and say, really, again? I heard this every week. Get on to something else that's better. There's some that are pondering this and going, I know I should be feeling this, the weight of this more, but I'm hungry. Like, is this ever going to end? There's some who are like, I would, and, and it, you're totally into it. And then as soon as you walk out the door, it just escapes you. And the good news of the gospel is gone till next week when you hear it again. That's what this parable is about. This parable is about how people will listen to Jesus' teaching. And so I'm going to go through it. The great opportunity some of you have met, my parents are are here in the house all the way from the, the motherland of Saskatchewan. And uh, my parents are farmers. And so it was easy to do the research this week because I grew up with this. But I had to learn some things about farming this particular weekend. And I think they were very good for me and good for us. But this parable is describing a farmer. Jesus is trying to explain that this is, this is how the, you are going to receive. This is how people are going to receive the teaching of Jesus. And he tells this story about a farmer who goes out into a field. Now you have to remember, this isn't kind of the farming like 
the farming that we would have necessarily today. There are some similar principles, but it's not exactly the same. As I was talking with Matt on the way over here this morning, driving the truck, I was like, well, now you can manipulate everything in farming. So you'd never have this kind of situation. I mean, you can add fertilizer if you're low on fertilizer. You can hire young kids to pick rocks. No offense, Dad, but you can hire your son's cheap labor to pick all the rocks in your fields. You can water because we have irrigation. We live near the irrigation capital of Saskatchewan, which means you can water it. Basically, if you're willing to pay enough money, you can water your crops whenever you want. So you don't have this kind of situation. But you have to remember, this is like ancient Palestine. They barely have water supply. And you, you have what you have. So if you have rocky ground, if you have ground that, where people walk off, and if you have ground where there's a lot of thorns, you have it. You don't have Roundup. You don't have all these kinds of things. You can't manipulate this sort of understanding. And the way that they would sow is they would put a bag of seed over their shoulder. I still remember reading Farmer Boy as a kid. I believe that copy is still at home today. And you would put a bag of seed over your shoulder and you'd walk and you'd grab a handful of seed and you'd just throw it like this and you'd spread it evenly. I remember reading the Laura Ingalls Wilder. And anyone read Laura Ingalls Wilder? Farmer boy, right? And Almanzo had to do the, the sowing of the seed and he'd grab a big fist of seed and he would spread it. Got to spread it evenly, he said. This is what happens. This is the description of, of Jesus' teaching. He's spreading the word. He's talking about the gospel. And so that's where we get our first clue. He, he, he does something unique here, which is he, he interprets his own parable for his disciples in the privacy of a conversation with them, perhaps around a supper table. And he, he, he lays this all out. And so some seed falls on the hard ground. It's not hard to imagine a hard path that's well-worn because there's major foot tra traffic in this day and age. And if seed lands on hard ground or pavement, it doesn't do anything. It makes sense. It doesn't germinate. It doesn't matter how much sun it gets. It doesn't matter how much irrigation it gets. It won't go anywhere. There's nothing for it to fall into. That's the hard ground, he says. And the other seed, and so it just, this seed just sits there and, and the birds come and they, they would eat it or an animal would come and eat it. This is normal. You can picture this, even if you haven't lived there. And then other seed would fall along this rocky ground. I hate rocky ground. I remember, like, it's a painful memory, obviously, right? Picking rocks as a kid. It's the worst job I could think of. Actually, dad paid us pretty well. Because it was a terrible job and he knew it. I hate rocky ground. It's hard to deal with. It's even worse when rocks get stuck in equipment and I can only imagine what this would have been like with these small little rocks that would just, it would just be the most annoying kind of farming I can imagine. And he said the problem with the, the rocky ground isn't that the soil is bad, it's just that it really, it can't really retain moisture. And so when seed falls in it, it actually goes down a bit and starts to grow, but it doesn't have much depth of soil. The roots can't really go down and, and draw water from the depth of the soil. And so these little plants, they grow up about this tall. And then when the, the pressure is on from the sun, they die. It looks good at the beginning. You think you have plants, but you can imagine this hot 
Palestinian afternoon that would just kill crops. I mean, the heat there was probably suffocating at this time. Probably the people are feeling a heat wave as he's preaching. They're like, yeah, Jesus, that's easy for you to say. You're in the boat and you got the cool wind on the lake. We're on the ground. And then there's the other soil that, that falls upon the thorny ground. Like not like a few weeds like we would know, but like thorns. Like the kind of thorns that would make you have a temper when you didn't think you had a temper problem. Right? You reach down, you pull up a, ever done that? You ever reach down and pulled on a Canada thistle with your bare hand? Don't do it. You'll lose sanctification. Hurts. Hate weeds. But we, stuff grows alongside of weeds, but eventually it, it just, it doesn't have any meat to it. That's a bad word to use because we're talking botany, not, not meat. But plants that, that kind of go in with weeds, I remember seeing them and as dad described, they grow up with and they, they actually look pretty tall. They kind of grow similar height to everything else, but there's no kernels in the heads of the wheat. Sometimes. Sometimes they grow really short, depending on when the rain comes in. But regardless, that's a good description is they don't, they don't weeds don't deliberately try to kill wheat they just try to outgrow them and they steal all the resources. They're like magpies. And they don't do any work for themselves. They just steal all the other birds' work. Right? That's what weeds do. They, don't, they, don't, they, they steal all the resources from the weed and so eventually the wheat just dies. And then you could imagine the, the good seed that would fall in the good soil and, and what you would do is you'd, you'd spread the seed and then you'd till over it afterwards and he says it produces a crop 30, 60, 100 fold. A good crop in that day and age is tenfold. Ten times. So from one kernel of wheat, ten kernels of wheat. But notice Jesus is kind of saying, if it lands in good soil, you get not just a bumper crop, but like, an, an awesome, like a once in a hundred year crop. Like a harvest, like you just can't take credit for. It's like, wow, these conditions were perfect. 30 fold, 30 times the yield. 60 times the yields, 100 times. It's a cool story. And again, what, what I want you to do is I want you to start thinking about you. That Jesus wasn't talking about farming, but he was using something that we would easily understand so that we could get what he was saying. And he gives us a little hint here. When he begins to talk with his disciples and he is alone, because they would have had to ask him, and, and it's, this is a strange process actually of, of this insider-outsider language. And you say, did Jesus really talk about insiders and outsiders? Yes, he did. But he didn't say, go find the outsiders or go point out the outsiders and the insiders. He said, you can tell whether you're an insider or an outsider. He gave us the tools to figure out whether we were an insider or an outsider. It's a brilliant teaching, by the way. And so he's, he tells his disciples, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything in parables. I'm not just going to lay this out there for you guys. You're going to have to want it. You're going to have to seek after it. Yes, I'm going to produce the harvest, but you're going to have to want this. But he 
he uses a phrase from Isaiah that's very interesting. And that phrase from Isaiah is very common that throughout the Bible, actually. It happened regularly. And it was a, a quote from a prophet or a preacher by the name of Isaiah. And Isaiah had this terrible job description of preaching and no one would listen. I mean, no one would do this this day. You can't write books that say how to preach so no one listens. That's not a book that sells. But this was the charge given to Isaiah. He said, you're going to speak and the people are going to hear you, but they're not going to pay attention. How'd you like God to give you that charge? Hey, I want you to be on a mission, great city, great missionary. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to explain the gospel to everyone you see. And here's how it's going to end up. No one's going to listen. But what was happening is Jesus was using this and saying, don't simply hear what I'm saying. Or don't simply listen to what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. Or the other way around, however you want to say it. This makes sense to me because I hear things without listening to them, right? Anyone watch a movie, watch sports, whatever it may be? right, and you're watching the TV and someone like walks in front of you. Ever watch a little kid play a video game and you walk in front of them? They won't ask you to move. They'll just be like, they'll look around you. They won't hear a thing you're saying. Oh, they'll hear you all right. They just won't listen. This happens all the time to me. I hear things, but I'm not really listening to them. And Jesus is saying we have this temptation. We're susceptible to hearing things without really listening to them all the time. Some of you are here week after week after week and you hear me very well, but you may not be listening. It may not really be landing. Well, how do I know that? Because that's what Jesus said this parable is about. So ultimately, as we move our way through the soils, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to think about other people. I want you to think about you and how you hear. I want you to take responsibility for your own life and how you hear. I want you to examine your own heart and say, what soil am I? And then I want you to ask another important question. What soil do I want to be? I think that should tell you a little bit about how you will hear the gospel, how you will hear Jesus' teaching moving forward. And it's possible that some of you this morning could turn to Jesus and believe in faith for the very first time. Not because this is the first time you have heard the gospel, but because it may be the first time you've actually listened to the, the Spirit of God speaking the gospel into your life. It's possible. We prayed about this this morning. It's one of the things I've noticed as we've been part of urban grace. Never assume anyone's saved, ever. Never make that assumption. Never assume just because I've preached the gospel 285 times so far somewhere in that range, so far at urban grace that you've all heard the gospel. Someone did some statistics. I think 70% of statistics are made up on the spot, but someone said that, someone got that, 75% of the people that hear the gospel need 78 times of hearing the gospel before they believe it. Wouldn't that be remarkable if that was true? Maybe that's you. I remember distinctly in 2006 and something happened in my life. And mind you, I've been a preacher 
before 2006. And I felt like I just had listened to the gospel for the very first time. I don't know what it was. I can't explain it. I can't take credit for it. I just know something happened. It's like a light switch went on and I realized that the gospel was good news. It wasn't just the front end of a message. It wasn't just in the announcements. It wasn't just on a mission statement. It was real good news for me that helped me every single day of my life. It formatted the way I lived my life and understood that. And that's why I know that it's possible, friends. Because that's my experience. And so I want you to consider yourself. So let's go through these. Well, you you went really fast, Wyatt. Let's go back to A. Let's talk about the hard soil. You can kind of barely see it there. See a hard, beaten path right through the middle of what would be pretty good soil on either side. Not very difficult to uh, understand this or see this. What kind of ground is this? What kind of heart is this? This is the uninterested heart. This is the heart where you can hear awesome gospel message week in and week out and it just bounces off and has no effect on your life. You're indifferent. You're uninterested. You go to church because someone said going to church is a good idea but it doesn't mean anything to you Monday through Saturday. It doesn't even mean anything to you Sunday afternoon. You just kind of participate because that's what you should do. And, you know, I kind of like a little moral kick in the pants every now and then. So I, I, Jesus said there are hearts like this. That's why we use the word hard-hearted. That's what that means. Hard soil, not listening. I'm hearing, I'm not listening. It's bouncing off. And it doesn't take anything for Satan to come in and distract you and say, well, the Bible's not really true, is it? Oh, yeah, you're right. You just, it's so quick, it's just gone. These are the easiest people to spot, usually. Get the glazed over look. I'm not that interested look. I'm not saying it's, you, you can't see other people in these categories. I'm just saying it's not what this is about. And I couldn't possibly answer. I can't, I don't grade you, by the way, after the service and go, well, you know, hard, rocky, thorny. That's yeah, pretty good. I don't grade you like that. It's my job isn't to grade you. That's Jesus' job. It's one of the reasons why he said, don't judge other people. He said, you'll never be able to do it. So leave it to me. I'm a better judge anyways. Because this isn't about external actions. This is about what goes on in your heart. And I can't see your heart. And I will say this. That word heart, if you're not used to the word heart, is the Bible's description of the decision-making center of our lives. So it's, it, it's not something that's simply brain. It's not simply soul. Actually, it's the combination of all of those things. So the first century audience that heard the word heart wouldn't think this is just about my emotions. They would say it includes the way I think rationally and the way I feel emotionally and the way I react physically. They would understand the heart as that particular place of the full combination of decision-making. And sometimes the gospel comes to our hearts and it's just like hard ground and Satan immediately snatches it away just like a bird would snatch a seed that landed on the hard soil and it's gone. 
No effect. Doesn't take root. Don't believe it. Aren't interested in it. No interest. The second image is the rocky soil. I, that's the best description I have. This is actually after an earthquake of some kind, I think, um, in Latin America somewhere. Little small plants, they've started to sprout really, really rocky ground, very hard to get some roots into it. You can tell it's in a mountainous area. Maybe it's on a mountain, I don't know. What's this kind of soil? What's this kind of heart? It's a shallow heart. It's a shallow heart. It's a heart where actually you, the gospel sounds really good to you, but the roots don't really go down. They don't last. Maybe that's you this morning. You've heard the gospel and it just it doesn't take root. You hear how good Jesus is. You hear, you know, reading scripture is a way to get to know Jesus. You hear gathering community is a way to bring the gospel deep into your heart and Honestly, when you leave at one or whatever it is, it just has no effect in your life. Maybe you're in a city group and it's having no effect on your life. A little bit. But what is this kind of, what, how do you find out about the, the, the plant? Well, you don't find out in the first few weeks of germination. You find out when the pressure is on. So my dad said. When the pressure of the world is on, like the way plants grow. So the sun and the wind and the cold, when the pressure is on, these plants can't handle it and they're out. They tap out. They're done. No root. Oh, it looks good from the outside for the first initial spot. But you find out what you have. It's kind of like a hairline crack an oil pipeline. Maybe that's a little bit more familiar for us. Maybe that's a soft spot for you. I don't know. I'm sorry if it is. But a hairline crack and an oil pipeline won't mean anything to you and it won't make any difference to you until you put that pipe under pressure. And I looked at some amazing images of a pipeline with a hairline crack that you put pressure on it and it blew the pipe apart. A $10 pipe that cost $8.1 million in damages because that crack wasn't dealt with properly. Jesus is saying, some of your hearts are like this. Sure, when there's no oil going through it, when you don't have the pressure of life on you, when you're surrounded by Christians and everyone pats you on the back and rubs your tummy, Things are going great, but as soon as you get into the work world and someone challenges your faith or someone questions what you're doing, you escape immediately. We have hearts like this, friends. So do you have a tendency to start well but not finish? Do you have a tendency to be a Christian when you're surrounded by Christians, but as soon as you're not surrounded by a community of people that lead you to the gospel as a baby to milk, you don't have anything? I can't answer this. I don't even know this, even if I tried to answer this. I can't tell. But you know who can? It's the Spirit of God. And he will know before you admit it. 
Does your situation put pressure on you? And when the pressure is on, what happens to your faith? What happens to your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ? Thirdly, the thorny soil. I, uh, like, thorny is kind of a weird word for us, but we don't live in that kind of world. But that's thorns right there. That's not Canadian thistle. Canadian thistle is much more polite than this. I don't know how anything grows in that really, but it does. But it doesn't have substance. And essentially what happens in the thorny soil is the cares of life choke out the other things. So with the the rocky soil, it's the bad things in life that come upon us and we turn our backs. But with the thorny soil, it's the good things in life. It's the care of real things, like our money, our job, our situation. What kind of heart is this? This is the distracted heart. You have one of those? Where you believe the gospel, you think this is the best news in the world, but then when you get back to real life, you get so caught up with everything else that's going on. You're trying to find a job. You're trying to provide for your family. You're trying to find a spouse. You're trying to do better. You're trying to build a business. You're trying to fix things and you just get sidetracked. And the next thing you know, it's months before you've had a real conversation with anyone about what you believe. Do you have that kind of heart? The distracted heart. A heart that just gets easily pulled away by the good things in life. The things that are actually necessary. There's no sinful things that Jesus says. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. We all have those. We need money. It's not wrong to desire other things, but when those things and that money and those situations just, they, they leap onto us. And they choke out what's going on in the gospel in our life. You know, this kind of grain can look pretty good on the outside, but I remember watching my older brother, who seems, probably fancies himself quite an expert in this, and even my dad, who they, I, I go, wow, that, that looks really great. And they say, well, watch this. And you'd pluck a grain head off and you'd rub it together and you'd blow off the chaff and there'd be like three kernels when there should be 40. Some of you, if Jesus did that to your heart, crushed the head, blew off the chaff, there's nothing there. There's no fruit. There's, no, there's nothing. There's emptiness. Because you just let all of the things in the world choke out the goodness of the gospel in your life. Then there's the good soil. Then there's the good soil. The productive soil. The fruitful soil. I didn't have a good fancy preacher way of saying no something, so I said put no problem. I know that's super dumb. Sorry about that. No problem. <laughs> the cares of the world don't bother you. Satan's not snatching stuff away. When you're, when you're tested, you just get deeper roots. You're like grapes. And you know that, that if you want the best wine, do you know what you do? 
you deliberately put like rocks and obstacles in a vineyard and the grapes have to work really hard to get around all of the obstacles. And guess what? That's what makes the best wine. This is not a joke. You can look this up on the internet and everything on the internet is true. That's what you're like. The tests come on and you just say, hey, this makes better wine. And you see it in your own life. You're like, that something that would just clearly sidetrack your friend makes you dig into the gospel so deep. And the trials and temptations of life and the, the problems that are coming on and the thickness doesn't drive you away from Jesus, doesn't lift up your roots. It provides a harvest. And for this I say, praise Jesus. But I do know what can happen when this happens, we take credit for it. And we're not the sower. And it's not our seed. And it's not our harvest. It's purely an act of grace from God. And so we could admit, yes, there is fruit. So this is not a result of me. This is why it doesn't allow us to look upon the other types of seed and go, if you could just be more like me, you could have the productive heart. You could have the productive soul. No, that's a lie. You and I are part of a harvest that produces fruit because God is a gracious God who loves his children. Who provided the soil? Like if you ask a farmer, it's like, what can you do? They'll say, well, I can till the soil. I can water it a little bit. I can fertilize it if I need to. I can put the right crop in and rotate the crops properly. But here's what they can't do. They can't provide the sun. They can't. And back in that day, you do what you can. You work hard. Dad's, my dad and my mom, some of the hardest working people I know in my life. This weekend, my dad outworked me. Awesome. My 70-year-old dad outworked me. He worked hard and understood that it wasn't him that made the crop grow. It was God. I remember hearing that from my grandpa over and over again. The Lord has blessed us with a good crop this year. He wouldn't take any credit for the harvest. My grandpa worked so hard. He wouldn't take credit for it. So I think there's something for all of us. What's your heart like? Let's go through them again. What's your heart like? Honestly, this morning, are you hard-hearted? Are you indifferent? Are you uninterested? Let's ask this question in a better way. What kind of soul do you want to be? What would you pray for? Someone said, like, can I pray for you to be a certain kind of heart? What would you pray for? Would you pray for a hard heart? Did you care? Would you pray, help me not to be? What's your blind spot? When you rocky soil, a little bit of root, but not much to it. Are you thorny soil? Just enamored with all that's going on in your life and you can't think of anything else. You want to be productive soil. 
want to be productive soil. As we close, I think there's a good opportunity for us here. A great opportunity for us. The music was quiet this morning, and I think it's perfect. Because I think this is the kind of message from Jesus that's just more reflective. And we don't need the loud music in some ways to charge us up. We need to sit back and think and take some inventory in our own lives. And we need to examine our desires. Have we even desired the fruitful heart? Have we forgotten our first love? Jesus Christ died, paid a price. Have you forgotten the resurrection already? That he provided you hope. Have you forgotten the cross? That he paid the price for all the sins that you committed this last week. Do you desire to have that productive, fruitful heart? Jesus says, yeah, bumper crop. One of my favorite things was not actually seeding in the ground. I didn't love the month of May. I didn't love necessarily, other than my birthday, I didn't love the month of August because that was a lot of swathing. I loved the month of September. And I don't like the smell of dust, but the smell of dust coming off of a combine that's pouring wheat into the back of a one-ton truck or five-ton truck is miraculous. And I remember watching my grandpa and hearing my grandpa say, oh, he just loved to put his hand out and just watch the wheat go through his hand. And I asked him, well, Grandpa, what do you, why do you, you know, what, what do you get out of this? He said, oh, I just, I love farming. I just love the sound of wheat pouring in. I love a bumper crop. And I'm praying for my heart because my blind spot is number three, or C, the thorny ground. That's my blind spot. I know that that's what my heart would look like if Jesus peels it back, that I'm constantly worried about the anxieties of things. I'm wondering, and I want the productive heart. And so, Ben, would you come? Ben, would you come as we close? And I'll simply say this, the, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the Last Supper, the bread and the wine, however you want to put it, is a chance for us to respond. The way we wire our services on the front end, we kind of, we say God's word, we tell you what we're about, but on the back end, we really try to load it heavy with opportunities to respond. That's why we give after. We give out a response because some of you, the, the, the money thing is just has such a deep root in your life and you give not so that we can have a bigger church, but that so this money can't stay in your heart and root itself in its heart and, and crowd things out. It's a response. And that's what Jesus said. If you find out what someone does with their money, you find out where their heart is. That's actually what he said. And so giving is an opportunity for you to examine yourself and say, does this have root in my heart? The bread and the wine represent an opportunity to reflect on the gospel. And if this is good news, you will want to take it. And maybe this is the first time you've 
listened and heard. And I would invite you to participate in it if it has. What you are participating is, is a symbolic meal. The bread represents the flesh of Jesus Christ. He was real. He was a person. He was God become man. Not man become God. He was God become man. And his blood, the cup, represents his shed blood, meaning he wasn't just an example for us. He was a substitution for us and shed his blood in order that ours would never have to be shed. And so I would invite us to respond. And afterwards, we're going to have a time of prayer again. We're going to direct the time of prayer very specifically this morning. We're going to say, we want to pray for people who want to produce fruit from their hearts. We want to pray for those people. We want to pray about, pray through people who are struggling with all of these other different types of soil. And so already be thinking, if you feel like, I would like someone to pray this over me, or I just heard the gospel for the first time, would you come and pray after with our prayer counselors? Julie and team, would you lead us?